It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he, had already, he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in the, the tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women ran out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone, because they were afraid. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good to see you all. Uh, will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, we are so grateful for your presence in us, among us. How you work out your purposes through us. We thank you that you love us more than we could ever imagine. We thank you that your plan is more far-reaching than we would even care to admit. We thank you that your son Jesus, our good shepherd, who is also a lamb who is slain, is also the king of glory, who began confusingly, surprisingly, his reign enthroned on a Roman cross. Lord, I pray that those visions from yesterday would still be fresh on our hearts today. The pulsing and blazing center of your love saturating this world when it seemed like everything was lost. We pray, Lord, in this day of quiet and rest that you would begin to impress other visions and images on our hearts and our imaginations that the tomb doesn't stay occupied for long. So we pray in this intervening moment, as we began looking at the cross and as we finish looking at the empty tomb, that our journey with Jesus wouldn't just start and end there, but it would be for us the long obedience, continually being surprised, continually being amazed at how much love he continues to show. And would he continue to care for us, walk with us, shepherd us. And so, church, in these moments, I invite you just silently to finish this sentence. Lord, thank you. And then as we reflect with our kids on all those sad things, the things we want to see untrue, would you finish this sentence silently? 
Lord, would you? And Lord, hear our prayers. They are many. We ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, as we talked about earlier, today is Holy Saturday. Holy Saturday is a day when the disciples of Jesus stand in between death and life. They stand in between the Friday that they really didn't see coming, even though Jesus told them it was coming. Nobody expected the king to be killed. They stand in between death and they stand in between life. But the thing about life is we have 2,000 years and so much church behind us that we know Sunday's coming. These disciples of Jesus were only resonating with the brutal, horrible images of Friday. They had no idea they were standing in between anything. And so Holy Saturday sits for us And if we allow ourselves to enter into those disciples' mindsets, it's a day also between darkness and dawn. But for them, they thought the darkness that came over the land on Friday would persist. And so it's a choice for us who have the benefit of so many years between despair and hope. But for the disciples, it was only always despair. For the disciples, it was three words. Jesus is dead. Jesus is dead. And we talked about last week with the triumphal entry that a lot of people came before Jesus and said they were God's king and they died. And their plans came to nothing. There was actually people after Jesus who came and said they were God's king and they died and their plans came to nothing. But there was something really strange about the followers of Jesus hiding in despair after Jesus was crucified. The crucified king, the crucified God, the crucified shepherd. There was something really interesting as they were hiding in despair. It's not long that his plans don't come to nothing, but in fact, it's a new beginning. And Saturday is the day we try to place ourselves in between the new beginning and a sense that everything has just come to a grinding halt and the stone has been rolled. And we're left with this question, who on earth will roll the stone away? Who on earth can pick up the pieces because the unthinkable has happened? God is dead. Jesus, our King, the one who was supposed to rescue us, is dead. Today is a day not of hope for the disciples, though it is for us. It's a day of shock. So the thing is, we don't have to try, I don't think, that hard to put ourselves in the disciples' shoes. Because you have had moments in your life, if you're honest and if you may not have to think back that hard, where it feels like the stone has been rolled in front of your life. And you look around and you ask your friends, who on earth can move this? Who on earth can roll away the stone? I think about the finality we feel in physical death. Even as people of hope, you have to admit that sometimes when you hear the word of Paul, oh, death, where is your sting? 
when death comes and rolls itself in front of your house, you say, the sting is right here. Agree to disagree, Brother Paul. This stings. We need to be okay naming the sting of death. Because even as people of hope, there is this sense of finality. Who can roll away the stone? We've been in hospital rooms when we have the worst news we could imagine. Who will roll away the stone? We have, as one of our little dudes said, the sting and the rolling of the stone when some relationship has died or it has changed in such a way where you wonder, are we ever going to get back to that place again? I live there in moments. And I ask who is going to roll away this impenetrable, unmovable object between death and life, despair and hope. Maybe for you it was that job. Maybe for you it was that dream. We've all been in those places. But that's why we gather on Holy Saturday, to remember that those places are not the last word. Sunday will come. And even if the disciples didn't know it, they don't have to live there very long. So we begin in Mark's gospel tonight. Mark chapter 15, if you'll turn there, this will be on the screen tonight. But I'd uh, like you to swipe or turn to Mark 15, verse 42 is where we're going to start. We have the first stop to make to the tomb in which the stone is rolled in front of. We have to first go to despair before we get to hope. So Mark tells us, on this Saturday, many, 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 many centuries ago, that before the Saturday, it was preparation day. You with me in Mark chapter 15? It was preparation day. What's preparation day? It's the day before the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. It's a day of rest. So Jesus died on Friday. He died about noon. Uh, excuse me. He died about 3. Darkness covered the earth from noon to 3. So he's got 3 p.m. on Friday preparation day is when Jesus dies. Now, it's the day before the Sabbath. Evening is approaching. So we've got 3 p.m. And when does the Sabbath begin? It begins at sundown Friday. We in the West, we start our days whenever you roll out of bed after 50 snooze buttons in the morning. But in the Hebrew culture in this time, days began at sundown. That's when the first day, this one day ends, so then the next one begins. So what happens is if Jesus dies at 3 p.m., Mark tells us we are running out of daylight on the day of preparation. Sabbath is about to begin. So then we are introduced to this dude, Joseph of Arimathea. Who is Joseph? Well, Mark tells us he's a prominent member of the council. Now, if you have been following along Jesus' last week, it is this council who condemns Jesus to death. So immediately you're starting to think, uh-oh, something bad is happening. We're running out of daylight on the Sabbath when everything shuts down. And now we're introduced to this guy, Joseph, who's a prominent member of the council. But then Mark kind of gives us this little glimmer of hope. He says, but he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus's body. So what's happening is he's got a couple hour window here. 
And all the disciples are living in despair. They have all scattered. Peter has fled to the hills. The other 11 are nowhere to be found. And Jesus' body is still on the cross. Do you think Pilate cares about Jesus' body? They crucify so many people that what they do is if nobody comes and takes this body of this rebel, the dogs will eat it, the birds will eat it, or eventually, if it's just kind of nasty because it's always outside the city when people are coming in, they'll just throw it into a common grave. Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers are nowhere to be found. This should be good news for us, even though it was bad news in that time. Because even Jesus' closest companions can be wrecked with fear and despair. And I'm still jamming on what we heard a couple weeks ago, walking through Ruth, that story of renewal, when Kathy preached and says, doubt does not sideline God. Rather, doubt is a way of turning it into a dialogue with God. Fear does not sideline God. Rather, fear, just like I told our kids, I'll tell you, should turn into a dialogue with God who might actually be able to do something about it. When we tell Emma, when the thunder is rolling and she says, I'm scared, what can I do about the thunder? Nothing. What might God do about the thunder? Probably nothing because we need rain. But in Emma's brain, she cries out to God and says, Lord, hold me. Our four-year-old, by God's grace, turns fear into a dialogue. And she says, it's okay, Jesus is with me. And so, when I'm here, racked with fear, I need to learn from my four-year-old. And I need to look at the disciples and say, it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to scatter. So he's alone. He's on the cross. They're nowhere to be found. So this man, Joseph, steps up, who of all places was from the council. Now, Luke tells us that he didn't go along with what the council was up to. And this is beautiful, too, because so often we give people bad raps who are in places of power, that they're all just bureaucratic, they're all just up to their own devices, they don't care about the people, but there are people who can conscientiously object to what's going on, and Joseph is one of these people. And so he goes to Pilate, and he is going to do something incredibly risky, Because the people on the council who did think Jesus ought to go and die are going to find out that Joseph of Arimathea is going to do something about Jesus' body. And then another risky thing is he goes to Pilate. So now he's risking Rome thinking that Joseph is a conspirator with another king. When they say Caesar is Lord, they're already kind of rubbed raw that the Jewish people say Yahweh is the one true God. But now he's going to get it from both ends because he's risking being associated with the dead Messiah, God's king. So he comes to do something about this body. He goes to Pilate. He's risking not only his reputation, he's also, by the law, risking his cleanliness to participate in the Sabbath. Because you don't go touching dead bodies. They did not have Purell then. He was ritually unclean, so he's risking his religious life Two, Joseph is a risky fellow. So he goes to Pilate. Look at verse 44. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Well, you beat him pretty good, so, you know. 
Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. So when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So now the time is the timeline is clicking down. So Joseph bought some linen cloth because he can't buy on the Sabbath. He took down the body because he can't work on the Sabbath. And he wrapped it in linen because he can't do this kind of preparation stuff on the Sabbath. And then he placed it in the tomb cut out of rock. Now, we know in other Gospels whose tomb is this. Jesus didn't even have a house. Do you think he had a tomb? No way. This is Joseph's tomb, his family tomb. It wasn't just one guy in a plot six feet under next to one another. This is a family tomb. You see the picture here. You know the picture well. It's kind of a cave. And then what do they do? Well, look. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. So here comes Jesus laying to rest before the Sabbath ends. And the great heavy stone rolls in front of the tomb. End of Friday. Now, in verse, what is that? I can't even look. 47, we're introduced to some other people. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Now, who are these women? If you look, it's not on the screen. If you have your Bible in front of you, in verses 40 and 41, they didn't just see where the body was buried. They see actually Jesus dying. Mark introduces us to these women in verse 40 and 41. Some women were watching from a distance Jesus' crucifixion. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph. So this is Mary of James and Joseph. And Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. So take heart, women. When the dudes head for the hills, the women are there, front and center, with shocked faces watching their Savior, who they followed, and what does Mark say? Even supported they cared for him. They provided for him. They fed him. They helped buy goods and things. These women were witnesses to the crucifixion, and they watch where the body is buried. Why? Because when the Sabbath is over, sundown right around now on Saturday, they go, look what it says, and bought spices so that they might go anoint Jesus' body. There wasn't enough time to anoint Jesus' body. What are you doing anointing Jesus' body? Well, they didn't embalm people then, did they? They didn't have rest land in first century Rome. So what they did was they go to the tomb. They would have done this if they had time the day before. And they put spices and perfumes and oil because the body is starting to decompose. And they do this to kind of mask the smell. And what they do is they seal it up. And a year later comes phase two of burial. Aren't you glad we have rest land? Then they come back and they collect the bones and they put it in a box so that family member number two can come in and be laid on the slab. And the cycle starts over again. So now it's Saturday evening, Sabbath is over, and these women approach to do phase one of the burial process, anointing Jesus. You still with me? We've got to get ourselves into the story before we see the significance of what's to come. So very early on, the first day of the week, Sunday, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. 
And they're probably so racked with grief and shocked and so dead set on the job they had to do that they ask each other the question they probably should have thought about before they even went, right? But I love that it's in here because it's captured my imagination for this whole week because I think it's the question our whole world asks. I brought black beans to talk to our kids about all the sad things in the world, but I think they verbalize without knowing it the question the world asks when all hope seems lost. They asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Who will roll the stone away from death, from violence? What will be done about all the horrors and atrocities of this world? What will be done with abuse and sex trafficking and all of the kinds of horrible things that we have to think about Good Friday and we see the horror on the cross because it has to deal with the horrors of this world? And if you just have the cross, you might say, well, he was another person that was trying to do another regime. He was trying to do another coup d'etat. He was trying to bring another kingdom until another king comes along. And you might say, guess what? Nothing's changed. There's still cancer. There's still death. There's still more tombs that are sealed up that we cannot do anything about. Who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb. They see the stone. And I think we spend most of our lives seeing stones. Because we can live on the side of despair and never cross over to see the stone rolled away. Our world, our people who don't know the stone being rolled away, live looking at the stone, sealing up the future, sealing up the hope. Nothing can be done. But Mark includes this question because he knows something we don't. People of hope know something the world doesn't. Stones don't stay sealed forever. But when they looked up, we're in chapter 6, they saw... That stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side. And are they so excited and jazzed? What does yours say? Don't look at the screen. Maybe yours has something different. Mine says alarmed. Does yours say freaked majorly out? When you go to graveyards, do you expect things to be open and just a guy sitting there just peachy on the little table where you expected a decomposing body? They were alarmed. They see the stone, then they see that stone rolled away. They don't know it, but God moves it. His power decisively answers this question. And I think they're freaked out now, but maybe they're starting to see that something is up here. So they were alarmed. Well, what does this person say to them? Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, dude, you think? Who was crucified? Now, this is really interesting because all the Gospels never tell us the mechanics that we want to see in Hollywood of Jesus kicking the 
rolling the stone and walking out. Jesus, back with a vengeance. We don't see this. What we see is wonder and fear. Why? Because no one expected Jesus to be crucified. Guess what? No one expected him to be raised from the dead. We need to put ourselves in this place again and remember that everyone thought death was final. And if God was going to raise people like he talked about in the Hebrew scriptures, Ezekiel, he's going to do that for everybody way back when at the end of time. And all of Israel would be raised, but not one Israelite in the middle of history from a tomb after he was crucified on a pagan cross. They were freaked out because they were expecting Jesus. They don't see Jesus. They see some other guy, and they never expected that Jesus would be alive. But he says, he has risen. He is not here. See the places where they laid him. They saw the stone They're amazed the stone is rolled away. They see the young man dressed in a white robe, and they don't see Jesus. No one expected this. It's not a reunion yet. Only fear and holy wonder. What is going on? They hadn't yet caught the phrase, He is risen. He is not here. But I think they begin to see that Easter turns a hopeless end into an endless hope. Suddenly, I think they're beginning to come to cognition. Even in their fear, it's very scary because suddenly anything is possible if death can't even hold people down. I had a turning point in my life. I believe this is a turning point for these women. I had a turning point in my life with how I viewed death, and it happened to be at a tomb as well. It was years ago, and Amy and I were dating at this time, and we had gone out to a country church to be a part of a funeral from her aunt that she and I were very close to, her aunt that had a diagnosis of breast cancer and who died and left three young children. And we go to this funeral, and we sit there in this crowded little country church, and we are shocked and wrecked with despair, even as Christian people. Even as our disciples who are scattered away, we scattered out to this church and we're still not believing that this is actually true. And then what happens is we move from that country church and we drive to a country graveyard. There's a pond there and we're with her kids, we're with her husband, and we're all just dumbfounded. You've been there, yes? And we sit there and we see the body get lowered And we get back to our car after everyone leaves and we get into our car and we're driving down a gravel road through this long way home to a home in which we know that Christy will never visit. We know that, yes, God will make all things new. But in that moment, we say, who's going to roll the stone away? And we're weeping and we're bitterly just having it out. And on our iPod comes a song, and the chorus erupts, and it just repeats over and over and over, Rescue is coming. Rescue is 
coming. And suddenly, through our bitter tears, welled up a stubborn hope where we looked death in the face and said, no thank you, you are not the final word. And we could be stubborn and bitter and weeping because we were living in between this darkness of Friday, the darkness of death, but we were so certain that a Sunday was coming, that rescue was coming. And our turning point happened in that grave. Our turning point, it began to make sense that I don't know how, I don't know all the mechanics, but I know that Jesus won't even leave our bodies alone because God didn't leave Jesus' body in the tomb. And I grew up too often with Easter Sunday sermons talking about all fly away, O glory. I heard a song from another Christian band that said, if the devil tries to come to me, I'm going to tell him to his face, he can have my body, but he can't have my soul. And I say, this is not Easter. Easter is not a time to get up tomorrow and talk about some rapture in end times. It is a time to stubbornly look death in the face and say, God is not going to throw this world away. We're not going to go fly away. God is stubbornly going to renew this creation, renew this world. He's going to do something about these black beans. He's even going to do something about your decaying body. He didn't leave Jesus there. He raised him bodily from the tomb. And it speaks to us that there is a new beginning, that there is a turning point, that it wasn't just some nice thing for his followers. It was a new thing for the world that says God's way, God's age, God's kingdom is breaking right into the midst of our black brokenness that is infecting this world. He has done something about sin and death and Satan. And we look to the empty tomb and we say, not even death is the last word. And this is Easter. And this is what we need to wake up to, even on Holy Saturday. Because He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid Him. But go and tell. This is the first time in Mark they're told to go say something about Jesus. When God's kingdom was breaking in like this mustard seed, every blind person healed, every woman restored, every lame person raised, every sinner and tax collector brought into the company, Jesus says, don't go say anything. It's not my time. It's not my time. This is his time. And this strange visitor, probably an angel, finally says, go tell his disciples and Peter. And what is he supposed to tell them? He is going ahead of you into Galilee. And what this going ahead is, is not, oh, he's got in his car and he's driving up to Galilee. No, he, it's a word that is, he's leading forth God's new kingdom, God's new way. He's pioneering, he's advancing, and what is he up to? He's on the move. And he's asking us not to leave him in the tomb because God didn't. He's saying, go and tell people that death is not the last word. Go and tell them that the sin and addiction and oppression is not the final say. Go and tell people that the victory that Jesus won on the cross is to be put into effect by his people into our world every time we feed and clothe and bless and welcome and say God did something when they healed this one. And for those that he doesn't heal, you say, God will. 
Rescue's coming. Go and tell people there is more to life. There is more, and you've got to get on board with it. He's going forth. He's going ahead of you. He's pioneering this new age. I'm so tired of the all fly away that's going to be happening tomorrow. God cares so deeply about this world. And Jesus at the end of our Bible says, behold, I'm making all things new. He's pioneering what for us will be the resurrection of the body. That so many Catholic and Episcopal churches, Anglican churches, will quote the Apostles' Creed, recite it together, and they will say, I believe in the resurrection. You may go rest with him when you're in the tomb. But guess what's going to happen? Whatever you is up there, your soul, your spirit, resting with Jesus, is going to be reunited with your body. He doesn't even want to lose that. He wants to make it new. Go and tell people death is not the end. He's going ahead of you to Galilee. It's a new beginning where it all started These disciples who were racked with despair and fear went back to their hometown of Galilee, Peter the Galilean. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Peter who is going to run back to the tomb and find a new beginning when he rejected Jesus. We're going to see Peter running to the tomb. We're going to see a new beginning where it all started because he even said, if you're taking notes or writing anything down, I've already preached longer than I wanted to, write down Mark 14, verses 27 to 31. He says, you're all going to fall away. Peter, you said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Brother, you and everyone else will. But he says, when the shepherd is struck, the sheep will scatter. And he says, but I will gather them back together. Jesus not only goes ahead to Galilee to pioneer God's kingdom. He doesn't just go ahead to Galilee to say, go and tell. I'm on the move. Are you coming with me? I'm going to be one step ahead of you. He goes to Galilee because he needs to restore and gather his sheep who are coward and lost because fear has been their Lord on Saturday. He's going ahead of you. And if you have been living with the words, Jesus is dead, maybe I would invite you as we close to pray these words. You will see him. There you will see him. Just as he told you. Pray these words and get on the move toward him. Because everything he said is true. Everything he said he is, everything they've told you he is, is true. And you will see him. So if the stone won't budge in your life, you will see it moved. Easter says so. If death won't budge, it will budge. You will see him. But in the meantime, we see these women trembling and bewildered, amazed at what they had seen. So they went out and fled from the tomb. And even though they were told to go and tell, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, what I imagined is they made a beeline to Peter and the disciples because somebody finds out about this. And it's really powerful And you know it can't be made up because if you're going to invent some witnesses, you're not going to invent these kind of women in first century when nobody counted on women's testimony. But what happened then 
was this seed of the kingdom of God and the reign of Jesus. We see he's not a failed Messiah. He's the risen Lord. And this thing spreads to where we are talking about it 2,000 years later in between life and death. He is on the move. He's pioneering God's new age. And he's offering to the world a new beginning because he will make all things new. And we will see him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together last night. Thank you for our time together this night. And Lord willing, would we be able to gather together in the daylight, celebrating you who rolls stones away. May we celebrate this evening, anticipating the new day dawning, speaking of one who has cast out fear, for perfect love casts out fear. The one who put death in its grave. May we celebrate and sing and rejoice this night and tomorrow. The kingdom that is coming and has come. We pray all this in the name of our risen King Jesus. Amen. Please remain standing as we receive our benediction. Christ is risen. We give thanks for the gift of Easter that runs beyond our explanations, beyond our categories of reason, even more beyond the sinking sense of our own lives. We know about the powers of death, powers that persist among us, powers that drive us from you and from our neighbor and from our best selves. We know about the powers of fear and greed and anxiety and brutality and certitude, powers before which we are helpless. And then you, you at dawn, unquenched, you in the darkness, you on Saturday, you who breaks the world to joy. Yours is the kingdom, not the kingdom of death. Yours is the power, not the power of death. Yours is the glory, not the glory of death. Yours, you, and we give thanks for the newness beyond our achieving. Go in peace. He is risen.